made this. Welcome back, everyone, to You Have Been Watching, a podcast devoted to looking in-depth into the fascinating curiosity that is the British television sitcom, part of the We Made This podcast network. I'm your host, Tony Black, and I'm once again flying solo to introduce to you all uh, the episode, uh, the second episode, talking about the British Empire, which is the uh, 1990 sitcom, as you remember. I introduced the episode that I've been doing with Matt Latham over on Shipwrecked and Comatose, uh, the Red Dwarf podcast, um, given the Chris Barry connection. But we're bringing it over to you have been watching. You hopefully would listen to the first episode of that where we talked about season one. And in this episode, we're talking about the second season, which is similar kind of thing, uh, but it's a slight advancement for some of the characters and some of the ideas. And I've got a pretty mad sort of religious theory <laughs> that you might hear uh, and find interesting in this episode so without further ado i'm going to turn this over to myself and matt latham of shipwrecked and comatose pick a disc and other we made this podcasts to discuss season two of the britas empire <laughs> them i'm so pleased to be here hello you can't see me i'm smiling broadly so yeah was that better i'll take your word for it <laughs> okay Thanks. but yes this is um the second in the series of specials where we're covering the chris barry sitcom the british empire and this is talk- talking about series two uh, which consisted of seven episodes and aired from the 2nd of january to the 20th of february in 1992 and it there was a bit of crossover with series five. In fact, by the time you listen to this, series five would have ended. But this ended on the twentieth of February, nineteen ninety-two, series episode seven. Whereas, uh, coincidentally, on the twentieth of February, nineteen ninety-two, Hollowship aired. So this ended the day ah. that series five of Red Dwarf started. And naturally, the naturally Kirk and Mark have scheduled this to happen after series five. So, um, <laughs> no comment. <Yeah. laughs> I'm not here to judge. I'm just yes. a guest. Yes. What, but, what were you doing in 1992, Latham? Probably playing the Amiga. You're showing your age there, playing the Amiga. Blimey. Not not yeah. the Master System or the Mega Drive. Was the Mega Drive out by then? Yes, but my, fir- my first console was the PlayStation. So, um, but I didn't get really? that. Yeah. Was it really? Yeah, because I had the Commodore yeah. 64. And then I had yeah. the Amiga. Actually, I might not have had the Amiga yet. I'm pretty sure. Right. I might, yeah, so I might have been on the C64. So you skipped the whole Mega Drive, like, and you know, Nintendo SNES kind of thing. You didn't yeah, do I didn't. I, I didn't. Ha- I had a Game Gear. Okay. Um, so right. that was that was my kind of entry level bit for that. Wow. But um, how about you, Tony? What wow. was you doing in '92? Um, I I was well, how old was I? I was ten. Uh, so. Yeah, I was playing. Well, somebody reminded me this of this on Twitter recently. I was actually playing a lot of marbles, right? Because it was the seriously right because it was the early nineties and we used to play marbles. Because you know back then we didn't have the internet, so you know we couldn't um, do all the things kids do today. You know, like um, engage with climate change, surf for porn, and you know do all those things simultaneously. No, we had to make do with marbles. Um, so uh, so yeah, that was mainly what I was doing with a bit of football, with a bit of Mega Drive, if the Mega Drive is out. Somebody's going to, like, call in that call in. We're not on the radio. Someone's going to, like, write in and say, Mega Drive actually wasn't out till uh, 7th of February, 1994, Tony. Um, so whatever the computer was, yeah, I was doing all that <laughs> stuff. I'm just curious, because I, I definitely, I, I don't remember watching the British Empire 
at that time when I was that age. I, I must have seen it in repeats, like the, the early British Empire stuff, the stuff I have seen. I must have seen it in repeats later. It's what mm. I've said to you. I think I said in the last one. It was the later series that I really re- that really stand out to me more. Probably because I did watch them when I was older. Like you know. Yeah, I can't remember if I, I I can't remember if I saw this there and then, but or if it was repeats. But this is the first series that I can remember because they're we'll get into them a bit more like get more in detail. But there are episodes here and moments and kind of lines and just scenes that. I thought were much much later in the series. Um, there's plot developments, uh, which again will again will go into more details. The plot elements, which kind of like go on to the end of the series, uh, introduced in series two, and I was generally surprised that they were in this series. Um, yeah, there there are like kind of bits of this that kind of live in frame my mind. Now I can't remember if it, if it was if I saw them. Uh, at the time, I really don't think so. It probably would have been repeats, um, but yeah. So yeah, so I, I can't really remember much of uh, at the time itself. But um, so series two, I think if we kind of cast our minds back to what we said about series one, series one we said was a very it was a mixed bag. I think I was slightly more positive about it than you were, um, but I think that generally what we found was that it did the show didn't feel as if it was found itself or it knew what it was doing with its cast uh you say that's, you say that's right yeah yeah i think so yeah i think i think you're probably right there generally yeah so what we so what were your initial thoughts of series two as a whole i liked it more i think it's still finding its feet i think but i'm starting to see the aspects of the British Empire that were very funny begin to coalesce here. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that this, this, like, I probably talked about this in the last one. This is standard for British sitcom, particularly of this era and before. It takes a good two or three series to warm up. You know, that happen- I mean, that happens in dramas, you know, a lot of the time. But usually in dramas, by the time you get to season two, it really starts to kick into gear, particularly. You know, so many shows that you and I enjoy watching, you know, genre shows and things like that. Series two, you know, you get some blinding episodes. I wouldn't say there's any blinding episodes in this because comedy takes longer. It takes longer, I think, for the characters to find themselves, for the actors to really click, for the scripts to start of to really understand, to lean into what the actors are good at and, you know, understand the, the sort of textural nature of the show. And I think in this season, they are starting to lean into things that, later on become synonymous with the show they start to lean into harriet thorpe's mania they start to lean into pippa haywood's um, mania sort of <laughs> well yeah but a different <laughs> kind of mania you know yeah. um that sort of energy um and i i feel like they start to tap into some of these things that become even more pronounced later it's it's, it's getting there in a way that it wasn't there in season one so yeah i think i i like this a bit more yeah yeah same um I think there's a, and the aspects of it where I feel like the show kind of resists the urge to. I think there's only one real example of a major kind of, not a retcon, but kind of just kind of gutting and just pretending nothing happened beforehand, which is with um, a character of a uh, Julie, which I'll bring up in a second. Um, but I feel as if like the elements of series one that they had found and then decide hang on we need to kind of tweak and change these but it's not a sudden shift they kind of there's a weird kind of progression of character development in some cases where you start to see um them kind of shifting to the characters that we a lot more comfortable with particularly in the case of helen where she's where like at the start of the series she's still she's like better marry someone off and cheat and so on but then by the end of the series by the end of series two they've kind of gotten that kind of cheating element away from it and he's more of and kind of starts tapping into the helen britus that i think the show is known for but they decide not to kind of do a gutting of that straight away now whether that's whether that might be a case of them halfway through the series writing the series are thinking yeah we need to kind of change things up or whether that was purposely done at the start there's arguments for and against for that but um mm. There's, yeah. there's things like that that kind of like develop through and like and other characters kind of settling into their roles as well um i'll i want to talk about laura a bit later on in general as well but um 
Mm. Yeah, there's just things like that, and I think the, and I think particularly with the cast and the characters as well, they kind of manage to, they cause they introduce. Uh, Julie, um, British's new receptionist. Now, series one, they had Angie, who was pretty much a non-starter. They never really knew what to do with his receptionist. Now, um, there are part, there are elements of Julie's character that come into much later to the point where she gets a catchphrase, uh, but it's not really. But I don't think it's even said in this series. Um, but they What's kind that? of because I can't remember that. Um, pretty much where she says, "I'm busy," and just doesn't do anything he says oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah so like whenever he t- whenever he <clears throat> whenever he tries to say anything like on the intercom or on a phone call he goes i'm busy there's even a i can't mm. remember which episode it is but i do remember a fact where they get like a computer network and she he emails her and all he gets back is an email saying i'm busy <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah but she has she has much more of a character and a lot more involvement in the stories as well as a character than angie did and i think she's a so she has a kind of uh nice kind of like outspoken outspoken kind of not antagonistic but she's not afraid to speak not afraid to stand up for herself and um it's a character and it's a character that doesn't really there hasn't been there wasn't a character like that in series one um no in in that way whereas whereas i think they thought laura might be that laura i think laura's a lot more complex um so they kind of needed a lot more straightforwardly challenging character for Britus, even even though she's not that challenging yet. So what was your what was your impression of Julie? I, I, I thought she's she's really good. She makes it she does make an impression straight away. I think a lot of that has to do with what Judy Flynn does with the performance really. Because yeah. there's not a vast amount for Julie on the page, but she brings out a sass yeah. to that character, which I think stands out definitely compared to the previous character who was just not 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 even barely registered, like you said felt like ported in from a different show almost. Whereas mm-hmm. Julie fits in a, in, in a different way, even though she, again, like Colin, is Northern. So I suppose they are tapping into a certain brassy Northerner kind of <clears throat> kind of aspect in a different way to what they're doing with Colin, where he's the, the weird Northerner trope. But I think it works. I think it works. Immediately you get a sense that she's, She's just a little bit more of a rounded character and, and potentially funny, you know. And once they really, like you say, dial into some of these, either these catchphrases or these comic beats with her, which they haven't fully done yet in this series, but once they do, she does stand out. You know, she was she's always one of the characters I remember the most from this show, actually, because she does, they they start to realise what she's, what she's capable of. So yeah, she's a good addition. <clears throat> she yeah. is a good addition. Um, and I, I mean, I thought it was really interesting how little some of the supporting characters had to do in this season like you barely saw linda like she had like probably if you collected all of her lines over the entire series she probably had about 15 lines about through all six episodes she um, but then there's i think they use linda a lot more as the for the character a lot better than they did in series one series one i she was like pretty i think the sets had more dialogue than um, the character <laughs> did. Um, but there are a couple yeah. of instances where I think they managed to use the user in a good role for comic effect. Um, particularly, I think with the with the 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 inspection, not the inspection, the uh, the fire drill, mm. like the fire drill episode, and like basically the only character, like the only character who I think at the ensemble <clears> that <throat> probably would have been able to get really invested in their role to stop people coming in in an actual fire and not realise it's real. It probably would have been Linda. So they kind of get that mm. there, but she doesn't really but they don't really know how to use her anywhere else. Yeah, because she's she's not particularly a strong character in many ways. You know, she she it's not quite the same as with Gavin and Tim, who again don't get a vast amount to do, but they have their particular inflections and as we talked about in the last episode, there is the whole aspect of their gay relationship, which is fairly, you know, un, you know, under the surface, but he's there. So they they stand out a little bit more. But I think really this season dials in a lot more, starts to dial in a lot more, particularly on obviously Britus, but also um, Helen and Carol particularly. Yeah. And and they see they seem to they seem to build a lot of the stories around those three characters. Yeah, and. It feels, I mean, it, I don't know, I mean, I might remember this wrong, but it feels like as as the series goes on, Colin gets a lot more to do as well. And they really start to build more stories sort of around him because he always stands out to me as quite, a, and he doesn't, he, he's, he's, he's fairly, he has a fair bit to do in this, but it, it doesn't, he doesn't have as much potentially as those other three. 
So that sort of changes as well as time goes on. If I remember rightly, you probably can remember better than me. There's there's also a a big shift uh, for the last two series, uh, which we aren't going to hear, which means another character gets a lot more screen time. Um, again, I'm I don't really want to. <laughs> if anyone's listening who do, who's actually been following and not watching ahead, I don't really want to spoil too. Don't want to spoil plot developments or things to do with the cast later on um so i won't go into them much but yeah but i think it is pretty much yeah it's chris barry pippa haywood harriet thorpe uh mike Bur- i think do think mike burns get i think mike burns is used and collins used pretty much as as much as he has done because i think they know how to use him as kind of like Brit- british's willing stooge um mm. at times um and again i think it's funny that like the most the most possibly loyal character um in the to Britus is the one who <laughs> Britus probably can't stand the most. Um mm. but um, That's a classic comic trope though, isn't it? The yeah. loyal gopher who is oblivious to <laughs> his boss's disdain. You know, that <laughs> that's quite a but then at the same time he wouldn't r- really probably be able to run that place without someone like Colin. Yeah. So you know that's all. That's always the. That's always the comedy. That's always part of the balance of the joke in these things. Yeah. So, I think, I think before we can move on to the, I think the main, the main trio that we mentioned, I do want to briefly mention about the development of Laura as a character as well. Um, again, I think Julius and John kind of has moments where she's got some really good stuff to do, and then they forget what they want Laura to be as well. Um, and I think the first real instance we had of that was at the end of series one where she recognises just how much Britus can do for people. It's just that he's really crap at doing it. Um I think one of the one of the things that highlights this as well, um, if we is the series opener Back from the Dead. Um, which again I didn't realise was this early because this is one of the episodes that I remember very vividly. Um mm. For some reason, for some reason, I've always had the scene where this person says, "Oh, I thought we only had twenty minutes," and uh, and the squash court goes, "No, no, no, it's under new management." And just how how much more busier and happier everyone in the um, center is when like Laura is kind of in charge, and it's and you can kind of see what she brings in, and then what happens when Britus <laughs> gets involved as well. Um, I'll get back to the introduction of that in a second but um the the big the big um thing that i think solidifies laura's character as well i think it was in it's the concrete is the episode where uh british finds his feet encased in concrete um uh, which initially to initially uh turns into like a what you think would be just like a normal slapstick stuff but then ends up being ends up having perhaps the best example of character development or at least exploration of british as a character that the series has had so far and it's the best use of Laura and it's it's there that the dynamic works where Laura's Laura the the straight man to British's foil uh, or comic character main character kind of works so you have British having to be challenged about the fact that you don't listen he, or at least he doesn't have any acknowledgement of subtext or meaning and Laura tries to teach him that and there's probably examples. Of, there's probably examples of that kind of dynamic that you probably know more a lot more about than you can give examples of. But that kind of really works, and it has that, and it has that kind of really good scene where Laura f- tries to teach him that, and s- saying that if you did this, then what ha- what happened in the premiere the, in the season premiere um, would probably be <laughs> could be your success type thing. And um, but then again, um, Britis takes that far too literally. And then just, <laughs> and then um, the joke being that when he when he kind of uses the tools that he's when he uses that skill to kind of say oh people don't actually say what they actually mean um, to kind of repair his relationship with his wife um, he then kind of scuppers the chance <laughs> to get his feet free. So yeah. so what did you feel? What did you feel about that scene and how the Laura British relationship was? I I, th- I think it's. It's slightly different in that they, you know, I maintain, like I said in the last one, that she's the the Wilson to, you know, Britis's Mannerin. If we go to a dad's army comparison, she's the she's the the support 
and she's fairly straight in terms of character. She doesn't get a lot of funny lines, but she's the kind of character you can bounce a joke off and it will work because she has that that solid base to her as a character. And, you know, she's quite good at the deadpan as well. So I think she works She works well in that sense, you know, in that she does, she has a certain level of wisdom about her. She is, she is the functional person. She's the person who in the right, like, like you said, in the first episode when she's running the place, it, it, works, for, it works fine. You know, it, she's the one who should be running it. And, it, and yeah. you get that so often in these kind of things. The person who is clearly more capable, who <laughs> he's always the person who's never quite running it. Um, and the thing is, it's not that Britus isn't capable. Because he is actually, you know, and the, I think I think the most the most interesting episode is Mom and Dad, which is the one where his dad comes mm. to the centre to help like shift a piano or whatever, and his dad is a very working class Cockney tradesman, and we get and you get and through Laura you get loads of psychology about Britus because you learn that he is the way he is, this extremely fastidious, driven, difficult, you know, kind of person. Because his dad wanted him to pushed him to be that, and really pushed him as a child to be more than he was, mm-hmm. and he, which is quite an enlightened point of view for a very working class you know, tradesman guy who's worked in the same job for forty years. Uh, and and on the one hand, you might think it jars, but it actually doesn't because Chris Barry he doesn't play Britus as posh. You know, that's that's the key thing. It could easily have been that he played this character as quite posh and imperious yeah. or faux posh, like, say, John Cleese plays Basil Fawlty, as we, you know, because there's so <clears> many <throat> comparisons between these two shows. But, you know, but, even, but to be fair, Basil Fawlty was never posh either. He was just pretending to be posh. I don't think Britus is pretending to be posh. He likes to impress people with with higher status and stature, but he's but he's still fairly working class. And I think what, what he does, he's through his, his mindset, this ridiculously you know, intense mindset, he pushes to be more than he is. And I think Laura sort of accentuates, it shows that, accentuates that with the fact that she is competent without having to be that. And they sort of, and that's that, that dichotomy is sort of clear in this season a little bit more. Um, So um, I I don't want to delve too much on talking about the UK office again. Um, So, because we made the comparisons between Brent and Gordon Britus, but I know that you've started watching the US version of The Office. How far are you in on that? Uh, only about seven episodes into season two, so it's fairly early days. Right. Okay. Uh, I can't remember which. Have you had? Have you had the episode where um, Michael and Jan go to have a business lunch? Yeah, I've just watched that one. Actually. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's the last one I watched. So that's the episode where. So that's the episode because I've been waiting for you to get to that episode then because that's the episode mm. where you where you suddenly realize that's the best one yet. It's yeah. Actually. It's also the episode where they suddenly figure out how to differentiate between Michael Scott and David Brent in that mm. and nothing mm. and you hear, yeah. and you'll hear you hear interviews and and with um, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant about this where when they first talk about. The chats they had with, um, oh, uh, I've forgotten what his name is. I've forgotten, uh, crap. Not Mike Sher, the other one. Uh, Greg Daniels. Greg Daniels. Yeah. When they first had a chat and they say that you can't have, you can't have what works in British culture work with American culture. You kind of have to have some kind of competence with Michael Scott. And mm. that ep- that's the episode where you suddenly realised that the reason that Michael Scott got promoted was because he... He's actually a really good salesman, but a real crap boss. And mm. I think next, now you yeah. got to that point. I think there are kind of comparisons that you could technically make between Michael Scott and Gordon Brittis than perhaps David Brent. Um, I think because I think David Brent, I think as you said before, had has too few qualities. And it's a mystery of how people get to that point. Whereas Michael Scott, you can actually realize, oh, okay, he's someone who's done really, really well. Let's just, if he's someone who does really well, let's put him into this position, but then realize that those girls... It's the failing up. It's the failing up thing you see in management so often. I mean, you work in a school, you will have seen this. I've certainly seen this. People fail up and you think, how on earth is that person in charge of this place or half in charge of this place? I'm pretty sure you've met senior leaders in your school or other schools I certainly have and I think how the hell are you in this job you are rubbish but clearly they were good at something beforehand they were good at managing something else but they can't do that job so it's interesting that Britus almost has he failed up you know has he or is it just that he's 
he's he he could be good if he changed his management style. If he wasn't yeah. so driven to the point that he's so picky and finickety about everything that everyone avoids him or hates him or just thinks that he's the worst kind of boss to to be around because everything has to be and that and that's a similar thing to you know if you use the michael scott comparison i know the u.s office comes years after this but there's definitely some inspiration in the uk office from britus and that then feeds into the american office in a way but if you look at that that once that once michael scott's out the office all they do is just prank around they don't do any work they just do lots of other things yeah so the the you know the the in the British, in the British Empire, it is one of those things that once British is gone, they actually become a functional team. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, that's, and that's the whole purpose of that first episode, I think, is to try and show that, is to try and show this alternate world that could be without him there. And that the comedy and the joke of the British Empire is that you have what could be a perfectly normal functioning place but it's not because you have this particularly accentuated example of extreme driven corporate management in place who doesn't get the best out of his staff. And that's the joke. That is ultimately the joke. Yeah, I think I think with that as well, um, again, um, with Gordon Brittus, I think Gordon Brittus um, differentiating away from Gary Brent, and I think I brought this up last time, last time is that I think Gordon Brittus genuinely cares about people and his yeah, staff. Yeah, no, he does. He yeah. cares about the welfare. Yeah. David Brent yeah. doesn't. doesn't. David Brent couldn't really give no. a shit. Uh, unless, he's self-obsessed. Yeah, yeah that, Unless, unless yeah. they idolise him. Like Whereas Britus, mm. I think, thinks people, thinks he should be idolised. Um, but then... Well, is it though? Is it about him? Is it more that he just thinks that everything that he suggests they do is for the good of the, of the leisure centre? And the good of the operation. I don't even think it's about him as much. I think it's more about the fact that if you do this this way, we will have a much better position for the customers. And it will be. Whereas everyone else goes, no, just lay off. You, we don't need to do it like this. Think, you know, it could be much easier. But I think, you know, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't think he's, he's a kind of weird where I don't think British is selfish. He's not self obsessed. So, for example, again, um, bringing up, I think one of my, again, I think the fire drill is one of my favorite episodes of this series where. Um, you, where he gets interviewed and one of the first things that Britus does and he does it on several episodes of this series actually is that he doesn't he doesn't take the credit or at least he purposely makes sure that he wants to pay tribute to his team and he several times I mean um, the the episode with the inspector the episode with the inspector, yeah. um, like he fall, he will he says to Laura that he's planning to fall on his sword because he doesn't want anyone to lose their jobs. He says on TV that he that he believes that the staff that he has or the team that he has is like first rate, and he has a massive passion for that staff, which mm. again you will not get with Gordon Brittus, uh, Michael Scott, definitely Michael with, Scott with David Brent with David Brent. David Brent, you will not get that with David Brent. David Brent mm, will mm. would say that, um, or at least he'll frame it to say that. It, he will frame it to, to think that it's his. It's because of him that people do well. Yeah. Whereas Gordon and Brent conversely, is- you wouldn't get that with Basil Fawlty either, because that that episode, that Inspector episode, has a lot of similarities to the hotel inspectors in Fawlty Towers, particularly one scene where the inspector comes in and Brittus doesn't know who he is. And then the moment he realises he's the inspector, he fawns all over him. And that's exactly what happens in <laughs> The Faulty Towers with Bernard Cribbins. The, the, the joke in that is that it's not actually Bernard Cribbins at all. It's some, somebody else. But what Basil is desperately trying to do in there is impress this guy because he's terrified that this guy is going to see all of the things he knows he do, that this hotel doesn't work properly and he's terrified of being caught out. That's the difference with Basil. That's why he's so desperate to impress and show because he's he's terrified really that if if this guy sees anything that goes wrong in this hotel, it will all fall apart. So his is built up on a massive panic and insecurity. Whereas Britus is different. He's different from Basil and Brent, and that's where the character in that kind of situation stands out. Yes, he wants to fawn. Yes, he'll impress, but it's not supplication out of fear or anxiety. It's supplication out of that kind of determination to prove that the whole system can work well. Yeah. I think. I mean, and again, with again, there's that scene with Laura in that scene, the Laura in the Spectre episode where 
the thing that whereas i think as an audience we'd automatically assume that because of all these different things and the basically your normal sitcom things of things escalating onto each other um that oh okay so then it's going to be a case that the inspector is just going to say you you're all an awful team whereas mm. team uh, britus is he never sees that britus is pretty much thinking that the moment is the reason that he'll probably either get the sack or he's going to resign is because of the figures and yeah. the, the attendance numbers the the competence yeah. of the staff doesn't enter his mind at all so and that's an element i think that's an element that perhaps makes you like britus and i don't think this and I think the way the British is with other people blocks them from seeing that side of him. And it's only really Laura mm. that sees that side of him, which allows, which I think, which then probably mm. means that with the next episode with the concrete, which we talked about, which I mentioned earlier, I think mm. that means that she sees that side of him a lot more than others, which is why she's a lot more open to defend him. Mm. Um, yeah. No, I think you're right. I think, and I think that's, why uh, quite often the psychology of Britus is channeled through that character. It's through other people explaining things to that character frequently, like his dad. Yeah. Helen does it at points as well. Um, is it, is it Helen, is it Laura that Helen tells about the children later on? Um, or Gordon tells about the children that they're not actually his children. Is it, I, I feel like it might be, it always seems to be Laura that these things come through. Which is interesting. Yeah, I think it's Britus because I think Britus because Britus. Um, no, yeah, he's he Laura, says it, doesn't he? Because Laura, because but Laura, is it to then, Laura. Yeah, because Laura says, "But hang on, yeah. no, you've got three children," and then that's when Britus goes, yeah. "No, no, no, she was married twice beforehand." Yeah, yeah, so yeah, exactly. That's so again, it always goes through Laura, and that's in, that's important because it feels like as the show builds the psychology of Britus through what other people say or what he sometimes says, which is a, another common trope with these kind of heightened characters you never learn about them usually through themselves it's always through what other people react to or say yeah then you need a character like laura who can be that she's she's us really in many ways soaking that up and trying to make sense of him and to make sense of him then you understand the comedy and i think that's where that's where it starts to improve you know as it's going on and that's where you can see it's improving a little bit in season two and i I suspect it will improve even more in season three because as you start to understand britus in the same way that you come to understand Basil or you come to understand Brent or Michael Scott or all of these other characters, the funnier he becomes. Yeah. Because it's either, and it's either born out of loathing hit them. Although I'll tell you what, right? If, if you think about it, think of all the great comedy characters who start, and maybe Basil's an exception here, but who start as characters that you think, oh my God, that person is horrendous. How often by the end do you feel the same way? Like a good example is Brent. By the end, you're desperately sorry for him and you really want him to be okay. Yeah. Um, Alan Partridge has definitely softened over the years. Yes, he's still an idiot, but he's not the same character that he was 25 years ago. He's actually now more likeable without question. He So often... He's a character that... Sorry, go on. So, uh, Alan Partridge, I think, is a character who I think actually works well with age uh, because... You yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah, and he gets... It gets more complex. He's like, it's like when, as I, cause I started watching um, early Alan Partridge stuff, it feels like Steve Coogan really wanted to be playing Alan Partridge. Now that Alan pa- that Steve Coogan's the actual age of who I think he's, he wanted yeah. Alan Partridge to be when he first started him. So it works yeah, that yeah. well. So the psychology of Alan Partridge works really well. But you do kind of get, yeah. you kind of feel sympathy for him because you can understand him as a character. Yeah, I fully get that. I'm trying to think... Yeah, you do. I'm trying to think of... Are you talking main characters or just main char- central characters? Well, or? I mean, you. I would say usually main characters, yeah. Um, in a lot, I think a lot of sitcoms you would find that when they start from a point of being really difficult and hard to like... And Michael Scott is definitely a good example of this because in the first few episodes of The Office, which he's very much trying to pour in the UK office... He's an absolute knobhead. And then even now, though, I'm starting to see, even a little bit in season two, he's becoming a little bit more likable as time goes on. And that's oh, early just days. Wait. So, just, just, just wait. Just wait. Yeah. Just no, wait. No, I'm sure. Just you wait. I am sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you see this so often. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and I think it, it's the difference with someone like Basil Fawlty maybe is that he stays at the same register probably all the way through that show because that show doesn't really have character development. That is a classic example of a show that has 12 scripts that you could watch in any order, and it's the same 
they're brilliant, but it's the same format each time. Yeah. And, it, and these characters are never going to change. Whereas with with things like um, The Office, you, you there is an arc. There is character development. You see that happen. You see that happen in things like Only Fools and Horses to an extent, yeah. you know, as characters develop and storylines continue. And I think with Britus, it's getting that, that to that point. I think in, in a way, season two is similar to some of those other shows that are independent of character development because you could probably watch most of these roughly in whatever order you liked, I would argue. There isn't necessarily an arc. There isn't necessarily a story. But oh. I think at the same time, I don't know if there is yet. I can see I can see the beginnings of that. I don't, but I don't really know if there is yet. But it's it's developing that way. I don't know. I I personally feel, and this is what surprised me, there's elements of this that if you watched them out of order, they probably wouldn't make sense. You could you not, think? yeah, you would not be able to watch Setting Concrete before an Inspector Calls, purely because, okay. purely because, um, Inspector Calls is when uh, you have Helen given the moped, and and I think Setting Concrete feels like mm. it feels like it's a two part <gasps> story because a lot actually that's mentioned, isn't it? Yeah, in the well, next basically, yeah, that's true. Actually, the whole mm. genesis of Laura's chat with Britus. And teaching him to say, teaching him to say, no, no, people do not say what they mean. You have to read inflection, which he still doesn't understand. Is basically the whole point is that you know, you need to listen to your wife. Ask ask her if she likes the moped that you bought her last week, and if she says mm. this, it means this. And base and then when he kind of uses those lessons, right, and then suddenly realizes that Helen's about six hundred percent happier in the space of a second because they say, "Oh, we'll get a car instead," right? He reads that and like, bloody hell, this is amazing. But that's because of of him kind of literally uh, being literal um, in saying, "Oh, we need she needs a vehicle." Um, now mm. the question I was going to bring up, I don't want to delve too much in because I I am no I'm not an expert on this at all, um, but. Um, I do wonder whether I, I I don't know whether Britus kind of can't register. Um, now I don't. It's not. I don't want to say Asperger's. Is it Asperger's or autistic? Uh, mm. Or something along those lines. Now I I don't know. ASD. Yeah. Yeah, or, or something like that. Um, like similar to perhaps even Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory, where mm. um, I, I I if if, pe- if people know what I'm trying to say, like to enlighten me and what I'm. What I think I'm talking about. Please feel free to let let me in. But there's there's um <laughs> there's there's something where like people can't read subtext, and I don't know whether it's autism. I don't know whether it's Asperger's. Mm. I don't know the difference, um, so I can't really qualify mm. to say. But I do feel like that perhaps there's elements of whether whether it's accidental that there are parts of like British where cause it, it, it's explicitly said that you can't actually read subtext and it's happened a few times um and i do wonder whether that's accidental in that and or whether that might be purposeful i don't think it might be purposeful but i do feel there's like an interesting thing that happens with with that i'd be surprised if it was intentional at that time like i i, I feel like comedy characters weren't written I don't think with that kind of stuff in mind. I mean, because if, if you look, if you look at most main comedy characters that are particularly accentuated tropes, so many of them have mental health problems. Really, on deep down, you 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 know whether it's diagnosed stuff like say an ASD or an Asperger's, or it's just the fact they are mentally ill. Clearly, in in the real world, they would be mentally ill, and you'd be like, "Wow, these people need serious help." We laugh at them because we can see their otherness. We can see how extreme they are. And part of us laughs at these kind of people because we're glad we're not them. That's that's the honest truth about it. We're glad we're not Alan Partridge. We're glad we're not Basil Fawlty. We're glad we're not David Brent. And we laugh at them. And the best the best examples always make you almost bad about feel, feel bad about that sometimes. Even if it's flickers, you sometimes just feel bad that you're laughing at these characters because deep down they are really troubled. And I think I, I think with Britus, it's not so much that he's a tragic character because I don't really think he is a tragic character in the same way as some of those other examples. Really, I think it's more that he he does have some level of social functioning that doesn't exist, and he does have some some level of awareness of his surroundings and people skills that just aren't there. And the irony is that he presents himself as this leader, this leisure centre manager, this leader of a team, this person who wants to create this really nice, pleasant space for people that's really happy and, and, and everything, but he completely misses so often 
how to do that because he doesn't have those social skills. And, and especially in the case of his marriage, you know, because that's because and that's why I think his marriage is so important to the show, because it shows both sides of it. The, the leather, leisure centre shows the personal side, the, the professional side. And Helen shows the personal side about how he's not functional in either. And in fact, his dedication to the leisure centre is to the detriment often of his marriage. And I thought it was really interesting that you 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 only really now see Helen in this series in the leisure centre. I don't think she, you see any, there's any scenes of her, maybe by one or two, where they're at home, really. You get that, compared to the previous series, where most of Helen's scenes, I think, were outside of the leisure centre. In this one, she's she's in the office all the time, she's mm-hmm. popping in. She has much yeah. more interaction with the cast now, with the other characters, than she did in series one. And I think that's a, that's a particularly important move to try and bring her more into the orbit of the workspace. Yeah. And I think that, I think it helps actually. It helps the character. I found her a little bit more, I found her much more sympathetic in this series than I did in the last one. Yeah. I mean, like I think, but I feel there's like a natural gradual development with Helen. Um, I think it's, she's, she has the most development in the whole cast, I feel, or at least natural progression to get to that point. Episode one is definitely series one, Helen, because she's pretty much about to marry someone else. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, yeah. So back and much. she doesn't really care that he's died in Bulgaria in a crushing machine, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah, but then it's like I think it's I think yeah. it's moms and dads. I think there's at least in the second half of the series where she actively goes to Laura. I, I'm now I'm I'm changing. I'm going to make it. I'm going to. She actually says says to the to Laura and, and the audience. I'm going to change. I'm going to make a conscious effort. Mm. I need I need to kind of make things. With, better with um, Brit Gordon and everything and you can kind of mm. see that start to work it's so you can kind of see that kind of dynamic shifting and there's a very and as you said with um a bit earlier there's a great great scene where Gordon, where uh, Britus sits down with Helen and goes uh darling I have a mistress that takes my time up and that mistress is the leisure center um and like and uh, mm. but yes he actually <laughs> says like I, I yes and he, it's an interesting thing where he says he feels like he's being unfaithful to his wife, but he's been hoping about being unfaithful with the, the leisure centre, and it's it's a very interesting thing. It's an interesting way of him phrasing it, where he says, uh, a phrasing with it, um, where he's saying, where he's saying to his wife that I have an interest and I have a career that means a lot to me as much as my marriage means to me as well. Um, which, and again, again, um, I say you're married. I'm not. I'm assuming that you have conversations with yourself and your wife about um, there are parts that are, there are things. There's this thing called podcasting. I have a mistress. Yeah. I have a mistress, and it's called <laughs> podcasting. Well, my mine is also writing and yeah. writing books and all kinds of things. And that and it, it's true. It, it, there, 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 there. We have we have had points where my wife, who is bless her far more patient than she gives herself credit for with all the things I do that aren't about us. Yeah. <laughs> but there have been points where she's gone, come on, Tone, maybe this is a bit much and dial it back. And and it's more than fair because there are points where maybe I've done tried to do four or five recordings in a week and she's gone, really? Is that not a bit much? So it, it, it is getting that balance right. And Britus so often doesn't get that balance right mm-hmm. and he doesn't see it. And and that the, the tragic character in this show is Helen, without question. You know, it's not Britus. Whereas in in a lot of other shows, it would be it would be different. It would be the main character quite often, or it would be the fir- two main characters. Like for instance, Del Boy and Rodney are both tragic characters yeah. in different ways in the Only Falls and Horses. So you know, it, it it's really interesting how through through you you feel I think you feel sorry for Helen without necessarily thinking Britus is horrible because he does love his wife and he does often want to be nice he's nice to her he's never horrible to her really mm-hmm. he never he's ne- he never really shouts at her he belittles her yes but he doesn't re- he doesn't do it out of malice necessarily you know he's he's just oblivious like when she's when she gets nicely dressed up for the the special sort of do for the uh it, pianist guy who comes in and he just goes oh darling you're gonna put something on and she spent all day getting <laughs> That said, said, though, oh, I thought you were going to dress up for this. That said, that and then she goes off crying, and you think, what a shame! Like you know, I, I, but then again, though, because I, I, I rewatched that scene uh, because that, that uh, I, I think that could be unnecessarily harsh. But then I think the way that scene's framed is actually the way he's stood. He's actually stood at a weird angle, which means you know, there's that weird because that notice board is right in the middle of the room, mm. um, which is kind of which I think is only purely there. I think as for a set design, well, 
for a set design, it's there, I think, to make do for the Inspector Calls episode to say a good notice board. I like a, I like a good notice board. Um, mm. Functionally, you'd have it on the wall because it's it's ridiculous in the middle of the room. But if you look at that scene again, he's actually stood behind. He stood behind that book, the board. I don't think he can actually see a wearing that dress, which is which is how I read that scene. Well, well, that that changes the complexion of the scene slightly. Then, if that's the case, because he's he's assuming she's not got dressed up. So what he's assuming is that Helen is just either lazy or hasn't really bothered mm-hmm. and he's putting his own assumption on her instead of actually looking at her. And it, but again, that would make sense because he doesn't really take her in, does he? So often he doesn't really take in who she is and what she is. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why in a, in, in, on one level you could forgive her philandering in the first series and a little bit in the second because she needed she needs that that attention. She needs that that feeling that he that someone loves her that she that she's wanted yeah. and she doesn't get that from him. So while at the, on the one hand it's she she cheats on him and she's unfaithful, she is still tragic in that sense. And in this series, you see those moments where his complete obliviousness to her makes it all the more sad in a way. But at the same time, doesn't make him horrible because he's just an idiot. He's just oblivious. He doesn't realize, you know, um, and. That that I think makes him a more interesting character because he is so devoted to his work, and that's that's something that you you you'll see in real life all the time, and and that's the part of the comedy trope that's being accentuated as well. The man who is so devoted to his work, he doesn't see anything around him, and 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 in this case, it's it's accentuated in the form of this well-meaning buffoon, essentially, which is what he is. Yeah, I think, and I think that's a nice kind of transition to talk about. I think. It's time to talk about Carol. Um, <laughs> a well-meaning buffoon. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I'm talking about Britus because... Yeah, no, I know. I know. Again, I, know. Yeah. Um, I think because <clears throat> Harriet Thorpe, he's pretty much gets a lot of good share. Now, there are, there's a lot of things that happen with her on an episode and basis, which is just completely funny and just digs into the mania. I mean, I I will admit that I actually, I actually laughed my arse off when during the first episode where she just starts tacking him, tacking him with the crane because uh, <laughs> she thought cause she mistakes the uh, mistakes the doll for the baby. Um, yeah. But then, <clears throat> yeah, so the, there's, but there's a great, great scene where I think, um, particularly during the, uh, where he thinks people are having sex in the thing where he actually discovers that, that Carol's been living in the cupboard. So when we said earlier that people don't see that kind of side to him that Laura has, uh, where he generally cares about his staff, but everyone else doesn't think that he cares at all. Um, there's a bit where Carol says, well, I, I assumed you'd kick me out. And um, and he goes, well, yes, I would have. But I'm not going to just throw you on the street. I, I, I would have yeah. given you money for a hotel. You could have stayed in the garage. Um I, I, and he, I, but then I think it doesn't really assimilate that people think of him that way anyway. But it's a really good scene, and I think another scene which kind of highlights that he generally cares about his staff. He just uh, he doesn't know how to show his staff that he actually cares until it's at that point. And it's a genuinely really good scene, and I think it, again it sums up the character character, and it and it matches with that. It matches with what happens with the inspection episode, uh, the next episode, the inspection stuff, and. It just works really, really well. But then it kind of just... And then uh, misunderstandings happen again. And then Carol ends up having Harriet Thorpe has to like play manic again, but which she does stupidly well. So what was your general... Yeah. Your general th- I mean, general thoughts on Carol, particularly in that scene with what we mentioned before with Britis? It, it, it was nice. It was, it was an affirmation, like you said, that he does care. And, you know, ultimately Carol... If, again, the comedy trope of Carol is that she's the working single mom who has no has no time to have any kind of life, and it's dialed up to such an extent that her baby lives in she and the baby live in the cupboards yes. <laughs> at work. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's why I think Carol sort of stands out probably as outside of Britta, she's the character that stands out the most in this show that yeah. you remember because she is such a dialed up surrealist trope. Uh, uh, and and it it would only happen in this kind of environment, really. Yeah. But she's great. She is great because she does. She's so vulnerable, and and that and she she just needs people to look after her properly. 
And that's that's why it's it's not it's nice to see him do that. And she's just not used to it. She just doesn't really she hasn't she doesn't really compute that that's how he would think because she's she's so used to being walked over or discarded or left, you know, just to look after everything herself. And that's why she runs around like a scatterbrain and she's so so lacking in any kind of self-esteem that she's so supplicate supplicant to him and to everybody else. I mean, we joke about the mistress thing, mistress, yeah, which is great because it's so funny. But it is based on a complete, you know, and she's so much happier when he's not there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's so much happier in that first. She's much, she's more confident because I think it's because she's used to a male figure in her life making her feel like she's not worth anything. And I think a lot of that goes back with Carol to maybe some deeper character subtext that would be in a backstory of that character potentially. But in that scene, Britus makes her feel like she is wanted. And I suppose that that it's interesting. If there is an arc, if there is some sort of level of story arc, maybe that tracks to the revelation in the final episode <laughs> that is really quite... <laughs> yeah. I have, to, I have to admit, I was a little bit like, wow, have they really, have they really done this? That he basically had sex with Carol thinking that she was Helen because they both wore the same costume at a party. I was like... Isn't that just a bit dodgy? Yeah. So, <laughs> well, then yeah. Else. So, I, was, I wanted to because just before we started recording, <laughs> I wanted to say that there's a, a, there's a development in this which is kind of weird, and I don't know how, I don't know how to take it. Um, no, but I remember. Uh, it's, but, very, it's a bit weird in this day and age. It's a bit weird. Oh, it's a bit creepy. But it's one actually. of the, it's one of the things that I remember, and it's one of the th- it's one of the things that I didn't realize was this early on. Um, because I remember Gordon being the father of the twins because the, him being twins is actually echoed on and um, it's not much of a spoiler but you, you, I think we will meet um, Gordon's brother I think definitely next series Horatio Horatio, yeah I think, wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah. that was mentioned, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, Horatio yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we do meet him he's definitely in series three I think he's in series okay. four as well um, Right Yeah, but um, yeah, so the whole thing with twins and I remember it's again. It's it's one of those things that I think will play. It does. It will and it does show up again later on, um, because of the because I because I one of the things that I remember being confused about in series one was I'm pretty sure Carol had more children, um, because there's a whole thing. I'm pretty sure there's a later episode where there's a gag. There's a gag where she kind of forgets which child is in which drawer. He goes, "No, you're not that one. Mm. You're not that one." And she actually keeps going, trying to. She keeps having to open different drawers trying to find the child she's after um so yeah so that kind of fills that in, fills that in as well but it's 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 a it's it's a complex situation it it's one of those weird things where you think it's something that definitely would not happen now uh or, or, or something that gets picked up picked up and it's not a story they would do in 2020. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> in any way. <laughs> yeah, and it's... Definitely not. I mean, yeah, so it's it's a... And again, um, there's a strange... There's a very, very strange, weird way they close the series where Helen tells him something. Now, it's not explicit what he gets told. I th- now, I choose to believe that she actually didn't tell him that Carol was... That he's the father of Carol's children or twins, but I think she says that she's pregnant herself, and I think that's why British comes in and starts smiling. But um, mm. but it's uh, but but it's inter- it's very weird, isn't it? Because he quotes from the Bible because there's a there's a joke earlier on about that um, if you pick something in the Bible, it will represent how you're feeling, and he picks something that says Esau and 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 Lo, there were two, and all this, and it's very and the joke is that. Yeah, the joke is that it's not any in any way relevant to how you he's feeling. But then later on, he quotes it back in his in his thought process, and that's how the series ends. So the point is being made that there was a relevance because it's about children in the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's very odd. It's odd. It's quite profound, actually, in a way. It's 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 quite it's it's odd for a comedy series to end on on a note like that, you know. But it's not that British Empire is religious in any way. It's not that, but it's making the point that that there are almost other forces at work. And, and that, I suppose that taps into the um, the strangeness that that really becomes more apparent as the show goes on. And again, there's not a vast amount of surrealism in this series. I mean, I think the the closest you get is the idea that Britus is dead and then he comes back from the dead. Although that's, a, that's a, a religious thing, isn't it? That's a religious metaphor. You know, he actually comes back from the dead, doesn't he? I mean, that's the first episode title, Back from the Dead. 
And so is there, is there a little bit of a weird religious subtext going on here? No. That, 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 does that make Carol Mary Magdalene? Like, <laughs> you know? The... It's it's that that's not it's basically his, his mistaken identity um, for the first one. So he's he's not actually dead. It's someone who mugged him. No, no, I know, I get that. But in theory, it could it could be seen as being a resurrection, couldn't it? That he went away, he died, quote unquote, and he came back from the dead, almost like renewed. So if you looked at it from a metaphorical perspective, I'm not talking a literal perspective, but a metaphorical thing, you could almost track a weird religious subtext to this whole series in a strange way, which I'd never really thought of until I'm saying it. <laughs> if if anyone I, 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 if anyone has any kind of opinions that they want to share in terms of some of the that some of that those uh, plot developments later on, I'd be very interested in because it, it's one of those weird things that happen particularly with the New Year stuff. Again, I didn't realise was that that head, and I, I think we're gearing up mm. to the end of, again our conversation now. But um, so this is more or less just random things that random observations I quickly want to say um, that I want to bring up. And if you've got any that you want to quickly bring up, feel free to bring them. One of the things I think there's the quite quite a few kind of good sight gags and kind of like, if not slapstick, just kind of like good physical comedy in a few places I generally laughed mm. at. Um, and the, 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 the one of the ones I didn't realize, I, I never expected to, to, to be one of the funniest things were, was the really obviously fake hawk that they somehow managed to control to look drunk and starts. <laughs> there's a bit where, so like they, where they, where yeah. they accidentally feed like corn, like alcohol soaked corn to a hawk. And then you just, you yeah. see, see kind of like <laughs> almost doing a gymnastics routine on the, on one of the rafters at the top. And it's just, mm. it's just the way it's, it's so badly puppeteered. It's hilarious because you feel like it's, <laughs> it's swaying and then kind of does a 360 around the, mm. the thing and stuff. And, um, it's just, there's, there's stuff like that. There's, uh, there's also a very interesting disconnect between how busy the, uh, center is because there's a, there's an ongoing joke that, it's never there's no one ever there whereas like you'll get you'll particularly with when particularly with the um the sick building syndrome episode where he's actually in concrete again where they go into a room and it's full of like it's full of the the white the exercise class and where britis accidentally mm. just well britis just insults all the 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 women with low self-esteem um as he refers to them as um, he then makes a comment that um, the Swedish netball team and the reserves all ended up fighting each other. And I'm like, considering like considering the running joke is that they barely reach single figures annually, how the hell have they got the Swedish netball team and the reserves in <laughs> into Whitbury? Um, how the he- and how the hell have they managed to get? Because uh, again, there's a joke with the fire ex- the fire escape being like you can only hold eight people, and there's about like twenty mm. odd people on it. And I'm like, again. Like the joke being is that like that's surplus to requirements almost if you look at the attendance figures. Um, so there's a mm. there's a very weird disconnect in terms of the uh, the attendance, which um, I think the show doesn't really know know about. But uh, but other than that, I think that's just the that's that's what I would say. Is there any other kind of like random observations that you want to make? Okay, or there was there was one in the episode, the last episode where. Uh, they're, they're trying to guess the father of Carol's baby. And I think it's Britus with Tim and Gavin. And it might be Britus. It's one of the characters who basically says, oh, well, you know, it could be you. It could be you, Tim. It could be you, Gavin. Or, or, or Tim or one of the two. And one of them says, I don't think it is, Mr. Britus. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and, it, and it's a really good little sly joke about the fact that they're gay and that obviously Britus has no idea. He doesn't realise. Or, or what, whichever character it is, I can't quite remember. But it's very it's very funny. With, and even the characters are laughing, which I quite like, without being too obvious. And I, 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 think, I think that's quite a nice little reminder of something that is... It's not maybe dialed into as much as it was in series one. We talked more about it in the series one. Um, it's not so much there in this series, but that's a nice little reminder of that. And, I, and it works as a little joke, I think. Um, yeah. Oh, and oh, that's just reminding me um, of another little observation, which again builds into the idea that I think there are a lot more, there's a lot more tightness in the plotting of scripts in terms of what they're setting up. So yeah, um, I think, I think because there's, when um, in episode two is the British trying to find out who Sam Sexton the 
Leisure Centre. Um, he bugs Linda to try mm. and flirt with Gavin. Um, but then the, mm. the but the and Britus overhears something which he assumes is uh, Gavin making a sexual advance onto Linda, but in fact he's actually smoking. So and I I, th- I don't know whether this is the first time that we see Gavin smoking or the establishment that he he likes to have a cigarette. Um, cigarette. What dates is that is able to do it in the building? <laughs> that that. Um, which dates amazingly. But <laughs> interestingly enough, that's brought up in episode two. There's a massive payoff later on where his smoking habit is the reason that the fire gets caused in episode six. Ah, so, okay. yeah, so yeah. basically, because um, he, he, he says, oh, um, I have a I have a thing where I, I have a cigarette to calm down and she starts smoking in the office but then hides it in the bag of... The, the bag that Carol had, and that causes it. And I think that kind of trait's actually w- very well set up in episode two, in that it's just not, it's something that's not forgotten. Whereas, ep- where like you have this thing, particularly with like episodic comedy, where you'll have s- something that's introduced in an earlier in an episode and never ever referenced again. Um, for example, uh, referencing the X cast as a kind of <laughs> a going joke that you've made that the character mm. of Fox Mulder has a massive fear of fire um, for an episode in series yeah. one. And he's never ever brought up again. Here, here, I think you have this thing where it's like, oh, suddenly Gavin's into cigarettes, and like it's never brought up again until episode six, where he actually ends up being a key part of the the events that set up the fire, which set up a, which set up the low. A lot of stuff that happens at the end of the episode, and I think I was I was looking at, it, I was like, oh, okay. That's quite interesting because I'm I only realised that because I made a joke about because I made a note about the the misunderstanding of the of the cigarettes and then when it came back again in episode six i was like oh okay this was quite interesting i didn't realize that again that that that, that's one of those things that i think was definitely must have been either set up or at least if they had it or they were trying to think how do we start the fire and like oh hang on hang on we said that gavin has a cigarette and it's it i quite like how that was set up Mm. yeah i I think the writing is better i mean you know it's not it's not brilliant yet you know i didn't laugh massively at a lot of these episodes but it is better and I did find myself chuckling more and it was more cohesive and it made more sense within the the scope of the the universe that that this is set in so I think it will only grow I think it will only improve and usually series three or maybe series four is usually where these shows start to hit their stride so I think next season is going to be an improvement definitely definitely yeah yeah and I think with that, um, I think we've been talking for an hour, and uh, I think that's time to. That's more than enough for you and I, yes. isn't it? To talk, yeah. I think we don't want to foist anything else on on people now. Yes, yes. <laughs> else we'll just um, start insulting each other, and um, yeah, again, as always, again, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. dickhead, but yes. yeah. Smeghead, yes. To get a red dwarf reference yes. in there, you know, uh, this is technically a red dwarf podcast. Yes. Apparently. Oh, yeah. Apparently, yes. Um, but yeah, uh, apparently. But, um, but again, Tony, I want to say thank you ever so much for coming on to talk about series two of the, of the British Empire. And I'm looking forward to talking about series Pleasure. three um, during mm, for the next same. wave of, of specials. So if people have somehow enjoyed your presence and want to listen to you talk on... <laughs> I love how you say yeah. that. I love how you say that. Like, it's, it's practically impossible. If somehow they've enjoyed you being on yes. this. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yes. Where can people <laughs> find you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if somehow you want to listen to more of me, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can mainly check me out on Twitter at, at uh, AJ Black Writer. You'll find links to all the other podcasts I do on We Made This at WMT underscore network. Yeah, and you can find me uh, on Twitter slash Instagram slash Facebook or whatever under Pick a Disc. Um, you can find also me on X and Matt on Twitter. Um, and as not, as always, I will occasionally pop up on the, the main episodes of Shipwrecking Commentators, where we talk about this show called Red Dwarf, um, which I don't think I've ever heard of, but it sounds interesting. Thanks, then, for joining us for another episode of You Have Been Watching. Uh, and uh, we will be back soon for uh, another episode, Rob and I, for another episode, uh, hopefully talking about uh, various different topics so keep an eye out for that we're obviously part of the we made this podcast network please subscribe to you have been watching and give us a rating and review on apple podcasts Uh, and if you want to help out our network please consider supporting us on patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash we made this the british empire however is not all we're discussing so we'll give you a little taste of what you might have missed on the network in just a minute but until next time you have been listening to tony black and in this case matt latham and we'll see you next time 
elsewhere on We Made This. Right in the childhood. Obviously because of the inclusion of Firestar and Iceman, all the bets are off because they weren't friends in the comic books. No, it was bizarre. Like Spidey and Iceman have become friends, and I wonder if they've become friends because of it, like because of the show, or maybe vice versa. But yeah, and we did notice a lot. Firestar was basically just Human Torch. They could have just Jenny yeah. Storm. She she really did. Although really I did, did just have the Human Torch. I did torches. get my hopes. I heard the last name Jones. Pick a disc. Evermore, I've not listened to. Uh, there's the there's a special that's on Disney Plus actually, uh, which I think is her playing Falkwell, which I might watch. Mm-hmm. Might oh, watch it's that. so good! It made me appreciate. I I said after I watched that, I was like, every album, I don't care who releases it, every album needs something like this to accompany it because it's. I think it adds so many layers to an album when you get to hear the artists specifically talk about why they wrote the song, and the producers are in the same same room like talking about the process. It just makes the album that much better. So that's a requirement now. Every album that comes out needs a documentary. Frame to frame. I just want to say, Emma, I really, I really love your philosophy about no matter how good or bad a movie is, there's a lot of effort that goes into it. I, re- I really like that philosophy because I find myself grappling with that. It's kind of like it's really easy to tear something down because the finished product that comes out in the cinema or on streaming is nominally bad, but it has actually had a fair amount of effort that went into it, regardless exactly. of how that translates. I mean, Cats is a really good example yeah. of that, actually. If you actually look into the story of uh, the visual effects on Cats and how it was literally the day before release, they were st- the visual effects team was still working on yeah. that movie. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network.